0: Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway, a United Methodist community in Portland, Maine. If you live locally, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Visit our website at www.hopegateway.com to learn more. But whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Two weeks ago, Don Rutilevich portrayed a Zachariah for us, who was so amazed that he couldn't believe the good news that he had always wanted to hear. Excuse me, my microphone is not on. There we go. Okay, And Don uh, came out in costume, you remember, and uh, made Zachariah come alive for us. And last Sunday, Katie didn't put on a costume, <laughs> but she did a marvelous job of, of explaining to us, opening up to us, Mary's wonderful song called The Magnificat, and showing us how, how we ultimately need to know what God is speaking to us, but there are different ways that it happens, and we have to discern where the truth really lies, and that's not always easy to do. And today, it is my challenge and opportunity to present Joseph to us, and I need to explain why I'm not in costume. (laughs) And the reason is uh, important. I made a real decision about doing this over my wife's objections, actually, Uh, she thought I should dress up but the reason I'm not dressing up is because Joseph today is not the Joseph of 2,000 years ago but the Joseph of today, of this present moment and in fact part of his message to us today is going to be not to live in the past, that the future in fact is is what determines our present, not the past the past doesn't inform the future, but the future informs the past and the present. Sounds very confusing, right? But listen. Are you listening? Okay. <clears throat> A contact has been made with those of us beyond earthly form coming from some currently living on planet earth, a wish or desire that more might be known of the one in the Christian scriptures known as Yosef or Joseph from Nazareth, particularly to know more about the role that he played in the early life of the master Yeshua or Jesus. It is natural for this desire to intensify during this season on earth when the birth of Yeshua is celebrated. People want to know. We do often speak of him here using his Aramaic name, Yeshua, as he was called on earth. At that time, there was a conscious effort to downplay the role of Joseph along with much that could have been told of Yeshua's early life as well, so as not to distract from his teaching and the dramatic conclusion of Yeshua's early earthly life. But now it is felt by many here that perhaps the time has come when more of this story might be encouraging to those who are currently on earth during what many perceive as uncertain times of great transition. And so I have been urged to break my silence, as it were, and respond to this perennial request and share some of my story. Just a little background might be helpful. Ever since that earthly sojourn in Palestine, I have been privileged to serve within what is sometimes referred to as the conscious circle of humanity. This simply means all those beings whether still in physical form or in another realm who are aware of their larger truer selves and wish to participate in a higher more communal purpose. There are many many of us here having come from every imaginable earthly cultural and religious background And we now enjoy an immense variety of existences and experiences as we continue to grow in awareness and in service of the holy. Reality is much more expansive than those on earth typically realize. So, yes, in Palestine during the Roman occupation roughly 2,000 years ago, I was the one known as Yosef from Nazareth, a carpenter, and a faithful Jew. Much of the particulars of that human personality have faded into insignificance as I have grown more fully into my larger self. But I can recall what was experienced well enough. I knew Mariam, or Mary, when she was still a young girl, and I was becoming a young man, apprenticed in my father's woodshop. She was a sweet child, and I suppose she stole a piece of my heart even then. But I was what you would call an introvert. I kept to myself more and more, in fact, as I grew up. I had little interest in girls and was certainly not ready to think about marriage. When my parents offered to arrange a match for me, I put them off with whatever excuse I could think of at the time, and they let it pass. I put my energy into learning the finer skills of carpentry and doing more of the heavy lifting as I grew stronger and my father grew older. As the years went by, I suspect my mother noticed my eyes lingering on Mariam, who would soon be of marriageable age. But as much as I will admit to having a soft spot in my heart for her, the thought of married life made me restless and uneasy. Several boys my age or a little older had recently gone off to visit one of the desert communes in the south, nearer to Jerusalem. Sometimes they went with their parents' approval and sometimes not. I told my father, this is what I wanted to do. Just for a few months, I told him, and I promised to return. My father knew the risks more than I. The zealot political parties in the city were always rumored to be plotting open revolt against the Romans, and they attracted a number of the younger men. So this is what my father asked of me. Avoid the city, he said. Visit the community, community that lives in the caves near Qumran beyond Jericho, down by the Dead Sea. I have heard favorable, favorable reports from some of the young men who have gone there. He seemed to feel a visit there would do me no harm. I was so relieved he didn't command me to stay at home, I immediately agreed to his conditions. To make a long story short... The group at Qumran, known as the Essenes, was the perfect place for me. They seemed to have a kind of faith that ran deeper than what I was used to hearing every Shabbat in the synagogue or from my earlier years in school. These Essenes taught me how to pray in a different way, not by using a lot of words, but by listening for the whisper of God in the silence like Elijah of old. This seemed to open up a whole new reality for me, right within my own soul. The Essenes did not condemn the zealots in the city. Indeed, they said their cause was righteous. But they taught that there was another way and that revolution must begin first within each of us. Little did I know how important these lessons would be for me in the not-too-distant future. I stayed longer than I thought I would and returned home a somewhat different person. In place of the restlessness that had pushed me to leave home, there was an unfamiliar inner peace, a kind of quiet self-confidence that I knew I did not create but felt like a gift from the Holy One, I felt like I had experienced a new reality and could now draw on an inner guidance when needed. I don't know how much my parents understood my stumbling attempts to explain what had happened to me. I really didn't understand it myself, but they listened and smiled and were more than glad to have me home. In just a few weeks, in fact, after life had settled into a routine... They suggested it might be time to arrange a marriage, and they felt Mariam would be the best choice. I could think of no excuse this time and didn't feel a need to. I knew now I was ready for the responsibility marriage entailed. Her parents were approached and seemed pleased. We went through the customary meetings, and agreements were drawn up and signed, and we were formally betrothed engaged to be married in six months time. It was an easy transition for the two of us because we had known each other since childhood and it felt right to trust our future to each other until it didn't. The next part of the story hardly needs telling. It's now so public and the whole world knows how it all turned out. But that didn't happen, you have to realize, until many years later, a whole generation after Yeshua had died and Mary told her story to Luke, and I had died by that time as well. What the world does not even know know now is how gut-wrenching Mariam's news about the pregnancy was to me. My first reaction was utter disbelief and then I felt an explosion of anger that she had betrayed me. And later, my response flipped into self-doubt that maybe my passionate love for her had led us to go too far, and my mind had blocked that out. One thing was clear. That wonderful inner calm I had brought home from Qumran was gone in a flash. I felt like I was going to explode that my whole life was now in shambles and in the midst of my fear and anger I had no idea what I might do and that scared me as much as anything. In those initial moments which seemed to last forever there was only one thing I found I could hold onto however tenuously. It was a serenity I could sense within Mariam even as she trembled to say what she did. I had lost any glimmer of calm within myself, yet I could see that she had not. It didn't make sense to me at the time, but I couldn't deny that there was a peace or trust hidden just beneath her quavering voice. My mind latched onto this one unexplainable reality as I rushed out into the night and went on the longest, most terrifying walk of my life, unlike anything I have experienced before or since. I stayed away from home for two days, wandering aimlessly in the hills, eating nothing. My fevered mind gradually gradually settled down some, and I began to think through scenarios of what I might do. Every option, Was depressing and turned my stomach sour. This all felt so unfair, not at all where my life was supposed to be headed. Looking back, I can see how much it was my life I was focused on. And all I could see was that our life together was now impossibly shattered. Did I pray? Ha! All I did was worry and rage and shake with fear. Let the Essenes see me now. I was sure the faith they taught me didn't cover situations as tumultuous as this. Yet one thing gnawed at me. It was that unexplainable calm in Mariam's voice, even as it trembled. The memory of it was so clear. It dangled a glimmer of irrational hope in front of me that I found I could neither shake off nor believe in. Utterly exhausted, I fell asleep. What happened next is so familiar from Matthew's telling of it. He told it. Oh, that's it. What happened next is so familiar from Matthew's telling of it. You probably know the words as well as I do. An angel of the Holy One appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mariam as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Those words tell outwardly what happened yet they leave me sounding like I possess the serenity of a Stoic philosopher. They say nothing of what I experienced. Yes, I was prepared to put Mariam away privately as the law allowed and not continue into the marriage. That would minimize the public disgrace. But in a small town, what would that solve, really? We would both live with the pain and the shame for a very long time But as Matthew records so accurately, that's not what I did. Dreams are a funny thing. Sometimes they tell you little more than that you are a light sleeper. At other times, they are so rich and profound and pregnant with meaning, pun intended. This dream shot through me like a bolt of lightning. And for me, the key meaning came right at the beginning. Yosef, son of David, do not be afraid. As I startled awake, I realized I was ridden with fear. Son of David, there was my social and religious pedigree right there on display, all that I thought I had to lose. Yet I had never made a decision of such import In my entire life, not even close, I was so afraid I couldn't even think. Yet, slowly, as I sat, a bit of the calm I had learned at Qumran somehow began to return to me, seeping into my consciousness through this dream, countering ever so slightly my immense fear. And slowly also, that strange calm I had heard in Mariam's voice began to speak to me. I began to perceive a possibility that there might be a path forward that did not deny these seemingly horrible circumstances, but calmly walked right through them. Slowly, I began to have a sense again that I could trust the Holy One to guide me. What I am about to say may surprise or even shock you. But truthfully, I must tell you, it came to not matter to me where this baby came from. That was not a problem I needed to understand or solve. Whatever this child would be or do would unfold as it should If it took a message in a dream to hit me over the head and wake me from my anxious, self-centered fears, so be it. I would take the biggest step and the biggest risk of my life and take this woman as my wife and this child as my son. If Mariam could act with courage and trust, I could respond and do likewise. I went home and told her, and such tears of relief and joy and love have perhaps seldom been shed. Looking back, I can now see how everything flowed from that one critical and foundational moment. It set both of us on a path that would lead to the decision to go to Bethlehem when we did before the baby was born and as husband and wife. The decision later to flee to Egypt after the visit from those astrologers. And then finally, the decision to return to Nazareth a few years later. In each case, the outward circumstances provided abundant cause for worry and fear. But for us, strangely, there was an inner calm that saw us through. And I have to say, that came first from Marianne. I would say say a bit hesitantly, I think we need to leave here and go to Egypt where we can hide. And she would reply, where's the donkey? How much should we pack? So those are the essentials of my story. I shall stop here because I still do not want to confuse my story with Yeshua's. Can you even imagine how strange it felt sometimes to listen to your own son teaching the crowds who began to come from everywhere? He was always looking for those who had the ears to hear, as he liked to say. One of the key lessons that I gleaned from him in later years was this. Don't dwell anxiously in the past. This was also at the very heart of what Mariam and I learned from our experience in those early years as well. The past does not determine the future. The future somehow calls forth itself. I learned to put my trust in this. There is a grand scheme of things struggling, bursting to unfold, and we are each a small part of that. Yeshua liked to call this future the kingdom of heaven. And that reality is actually here now, he taught us, for those who have the eyes to see it and the heart to feel it. I trust that hearing some small part of what we experience in those long ago times may be of some encouragement to you who are living on earth now. We who dwell beyond the physical realm wish to send our blessing and love and support to you. We know there is much in this present season on earth which could easily fill you with anxious fears and worry. You have a church with more than a 250-year history now seemingly in danger of taking the word united completely out of its name and you might well worry what it will become and how diminished its influence for good will be. You have a nation also with the word united in its name, and you worry that it might be convulsing into moral paralysis and surrendering its leadership in the world to selfish and destructive forces. And far from least... You worry and fear that the planet you call home is being irreversibly damaged by short-sighted behaviors on a global scale. You cannot change your past. You must learn from your future. And there is a glorious future waiting to be discovered. If a church collapses even into relative insignificance, Do not worry. If a nation abdicates its always imperfect moral leadership for more selfish interests, do not fear. If the intelligent but not yet wise human race continues to ignore its place within nature and neglect its home, do not tremble. The future still awaits It is the anxious worry that can become your enemy, often unseen, if you allow it to remain with you. Let me suggest, if I may, a simple experiment, something you might try with me right now, if you so choose. As you sit quietly, comfortably, close your eyes for a moment. And as you do so, allow a very small, gentle smile to come over your face. As you do this, notice what takes place with the many muscles in the rest of your face and even in other parts of your body. Does this simple act of smiling perhaps release some unconscious level of tension you had been holding on to? Does it perhaps reveal to you some level of anxiety that you carry with you without realizing it, something you may accept as a normal part of your life, but which is in fact a burden you do not need to carry? Yeshua would say, look at the birds and the flowers. They do not carry such worry. Take my way of living upon yourself instead. It is much easier to carry. Yeshua himself, known to us here as the universal Christ, has become for many of us the very symbol, the very center and beginning of a new humanity, even now in its birth pangs. I invite you individually and collectively to join with us in the conscious circle of humanity in placing your hope and trust in that grand future. No matter what you see around you, no matter what decisions are placed in your path, act with courage and faith and do not lose sight of that hope. In your Advent season, if you stay on this path, you will be joining with Yeshua's early followers after he was no longer physically present with them. Their fervent prayer was, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, not knowing when or how that future would arrive or misunderstanding what form it would take. It is a prayer especially needed now.